0: Hello and welcome to the Unpretty podcast. I'm Basma and this is Chi.
1: We want to explore the world of beauty through the experiences and stories of people of colour.
0: In each episode, we will unpack different themes and topics, along with the help of some friends, experts, and people we just really love.
1: We've got lots to say, lots to learn, and we're here to do that with you. So let's get to it. <laughs> you know, I've really loved hearing people's feedback from the first episode. And one thing that a lot of people were saying, Basma, was mm. that they didn't feel like we really introduced ourselves.
0: No, we didn't. And
1: I think that we are at
0: fault for this because we just assumed that everyone would know who we are and people are listening that don't know us. (laughs) We actually should introduce ourselves, right? And introduce ourselves properly and also why we sound the way we sound.
1: (laughs) Why do you sound the way you sound, Basma?
0: So my background is I was born in Saudi Arabia, but I am Sudanese by birth. I grew up in Northern Ireland and I went to uni and a little bit of high school in Scotland. And I kind of lived in New York for a little while as well. So I signed um, this weird, silly mix of things. Gee, why do you sound so posh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you think I'm posh? Yeah, 100%. So posh. I feel like I just pronounced my words properly. Um yeah, a probably, northern yeah. girl, yep. actually. I was born in Nigeria and okay. then my family, for some reason... Moved to the city of Wakefield in West Yorkshire, which is where I lived in 18 to- and then moved to London. You went from Nigeria to Yorkshire. Random.
0: <laughs> I mean, not more random than Sudan to Northern Ireland. We want to talk a little bit about why we decided to have this podcast in the first place, because maybe we didn't address that
1: properly or enough. So, Chi throughout my entire adult life and childhood, actually, I've had friends from multiple different cultures asking me questions about my hair my skin making comments and it never comes from anywhere a negative place but you know I feel a frustration every time having to answer but then thinking about it how would they know yeah I agree with you for me the most important thing is for this podcast to be not only a safe space but an inclusive space not just for people of colour And we're not experts. That's why we need the experts.
0: Exactly. This is why we have experts or people who are just more knowledgeable than we are, because that's the whole point, right? So we can learn from people who know their craft.
1: We're here to learn. I have so many questions about dreads, as I said in the last episode. You are dreads. (laughs) 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 That's my one objective. (laughs) I have so many questions Uh I need to understand.
0: Yeah, and you will, and you will. And I think for me as well, I've always looked a bit ambiguous and I think there's a lot of things that come with being that level of black girl that's like it's not African, not Arab and having those conversations and, you know, talking about rituals and beauty rituals that come with different cultures and different religions and things like that. So it's a healthy conversation and it's a conversation that we want everyone to be part of.
1: Actually, I want to ask you a quick question. How would you identify your ethnicity? I would say I'm
0: Afro-Arab. Yeah, I'd say I'm Afro-Arab, so I'm like African but Arab, which cuz Sudan is like an Arab country in Africa, so it it's it's really confusing for a lot of people. Um, but technically I'm African. A lot of people would say differently. But yeah, what about you? You'd just say full on African?
1: Yeah, I think I'd say African.
0: Yeah, lucky you, you just get to be I've like never do you know, I've never really had to say call
1: it. myself African that much because more often black is enough. Yeah. Interesting. Actually. Yeah, African. If we're going to go specific, actually, I'd probably say Nigerian over African. Yeah, Yeah, I'd probably say
0: Sudanese over Afro Arab as well. Anyway, I think it's about time we got into this next topic, which actually speaks to all of this kind of stuff. We're talking to two experts and getting their take on representation of people of colour in media.
1: Yeah, let's get to it.
0: Joining us today is Tolly T. You may know her from one of the UK's leading podcasts, The Receipts. But separate to that, Tolly is known as a lifestyle writer who has written for publications such as BuzzFeed, Elle, The Independent, OK, and The i. And Tolly recently launched an amazing little segment on Instagram which I'm kind of obsessed with, called Story Story, a platform dedicated to storytelling.
1: And also joining us, we're really happy to welcome Josh Smith. Celebrity and Entertainment Director at Glamour Magazine. Josh leads all the celebrity content for both the magazine and the digital platforms, from interviewing Yara Shahidi to pioneering Glamour's first Black Beauty special with Tracy Ellis Ross as the cover star. Welcome, you guys. Hello. <laughs> By
2: the way, the Tracy Ellis publication was amazing. Like, I love oh her generally, so to see her face as well, it was just like, oh my god, auntie, Tracy.
3: <laughs> the reaction to that has been insane. Like, I remember having a meeting in LA, like, straight after Coachella, and I was so, I probably shouldn't say this, actually, I was so hungover for that meeting. And then I went into this meeting, and we were um, at this PR agency with this amazing group of women who work there, and... They were like, oh my god, what do you think about Tracy Ellis Ross? And I was like, Gimme Tracy Ellis Ross. Mm-hmm. And so to and that was like six months before it came out. So to see that come out and like see that reaction was amazing.
0: Before we get into today's theme, I actually I think it's important for us to understand how you guys got to where you are. Yeah, sure. Um so
2: how did I do this? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was one of those people that kind of knew exactly what I went to be from about fifteen. Like from quite early on, I was like, I want to work in magazines. So I remember in junior, you, you get your internship in year ten, like a two weeks work experience. I yeah. had that like Sugar Magazine. I like, I like love. I was just like, oh, this is what I want to do. And I was there for two weeks, and I loved it. Like as soon as I realised that's what I wanted to do, I worked towards it. So, like, went to college, did like media, sociology, and blah, blah, blah. Went to uni and then studied communications and media. I did a four year placement course. So, like, did internships, did placements. And I remember I got an internship at, it um... <laughs> was a magazine called Fancy. And it was like for Julian Graves, there's this like nut shop. Like, it, they sell like nuts and like seeds. As in the ones you eat? Yeah, like nuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Not as in like nuts magazine. <laughs> <laughs> not as in nuts. Not as in penises. I mean, you could also eat that as well, but like, as in, like, nuts. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Edible.
3: It's one of my favourite food groups,
2: babe. <laughs> Edible, swallowable, like, oh, God, that's yeah. <laughs> it. Just
1: seeds, okay? Okay, so, okay, like, okay. I,
2: I was saying Givadeza, early in my career, all I did was talk, like, write about, about nuts, and then... Obviously, they closed down because you can't base your market on just nuts. <laughs> 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 so that shut down. And then, so I was in a, like, a, um, a publishing house. They did loads of other magazines. So they put me in another magazine called Life and Living. But it was for that like, the over, I think it was over 70s. So like the name was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like Ironic. <laughs> and then that publication won, um, they won a magazine for um, Sally's. Sally, a hair a hair hair shot. Shot. yeah, yeah. Oh. So they had a magazine called Pro Hair and Beauty. So then oh. I got hired there as, as assistant to work on Pro Hair oh. and Beauty. So that's how I started finally writing about beauty because I'd always wanted to write about beauty. But I mean, this patient was meant to be. Three months. I was there for about two and a half years because then I kept oh, getting jobs wow. in that publication. So then, yeah, worked for Pro hair and beauty. I was like, "Yeah, this is it. I definitely want to work for beauty and like working magazines." And I was there for a while. And then I think company, the magazine went. And then I was like, "Shit, magazines are going." And it, it's like pop was like so many magazines were announcing that they were closing, and everyone was going online. And I was, I have to go, I have to go online. So then mm-hmm. I applied for jobs online like and eventually i got one online for a, me- a website called so feminine oh yeah yeah it sounds like a tampon dad but um it's not <laughs> 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 so i went there for a year and ultimately it was like i went to just do something online and go somewhere else and then buzzfeed came along and i was at buzzfeed about two and a half years the first year it was my dream come true because i was the only one writing beauty content and i could do what. Ever I want so I'd gone from a space where I'd pitch content about like oh can we do things about black skin and kind of be flat out told no because I remember at the magazine we didn't have one black cover girl ever so I never ever got to write about black beauty anywhere else until I got to Buzzfeed.
1: That's crazy that you know having a black woman in the room you're literally there staring at them and yet they're not writing oh, no. for you yeah 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 absolutely not.
2: And I remember Sounds I used to like, always get, like, press packages with, like, fake tan. I'm like, oh, I'm black. Stop sending me this. I can't what? use it. For God's sake. And I remember <laughs> once when I was at the magazine going to, like, a beauty event. Do you know what? The beauty events were always the weirdest spaces for me because I was more often than not, at that time, the only black girl. So I won an award for, like, my, my writing in lifestyle and beauty. And, like, in the, with the award comes this booklet of everyone's faces and in that one the award. The girl's picture that was under my name was Patricia Bright i was like no oh. i was like that's not me <laughs> <laughs> because i wrote about her recently before that so they just want me search my name saw her picture come up, and just use her and picture then, in the booklet so i've got this book, yeah. book oh, yeah. oh the that i won and the picture was not even my face it's not even you <laughs> it's you just won like the award yeah. i'm just like oh okay i mean she's great but she didn't win this i won this must read at the time was quite experimental they were still mm. quite new. They kind of hadn't found mm. what their beauty content wanted to look like. So I was like, okay, yeah. cool. What I want it to look like is to be very, like, I guess what people are doing on social media now, which is just, I tried this. Here is a picture that I took and not a photographer.
3: Yeah. And it's yeah. actually what it
2: actually looks like. And it's not glossy. It's not polished. It was loads uh, of the pictures I took for my, almost all of my pieces were just from my phone. And then I did a series about, like, here's what it looks like on me, and then a white person. Here's what it looks like like Just so it's just, like, there was not just this one. And BuzzFeed were heavy on that at the time. Like, you couldn't talk about something and not say how it looked like on other skin tones. Because they had America, like, BuzzFeed America, who were leaps and bounds ahead of us in terms of what they publish about Black Beauty. So we had an example to follow on.
3: I started off in this crazy, weird, nuts industry when I was 21, fresh out of uni, I um, had my first internship at NME magazine, which is the biggest lol of all time. I I remember on my cover letter I wrote, I'm currently interested in the resurgence of female artists such as The Saturdays. (laughs) I feel like they must have just given me like the two-week internship as a joke. To be like, wow, what raving <laughs> queer is going to walk through this door? One of the things that I knew was that if I got into this publishing house, which was IPC, Time Inc., I could like move around. So I literally walked up to Marie Claire and was like, hi, I want to come work at Marie Claire because I want to be a fashion journalist. Went back, did an internship there over the course of, I would say, like three to four years. I became a fashion stylist, fashion journalist, started off being a fashion assistant at Grazia. And when I was there, basically uh, someone at Grazia was calling me Joshington Post because I always had the hot gossip. So then we started doing a vlog there and then it rapidly became, I was doing these celebrity interviews. So the first interview I did was with RuPaul, it morphed over time into me becoming a celebrity interviewer and then I was doing this vlog, and we got like insane amount of views. Randomly about last year, I did an interview with Leanne from Little Mix, who's an absolute queen. And we talked a lot about the racial discrimination she faced in the industry and throughout her life. And then that kind of set this tone of me doing these very revelatory, honest, emotional interviews with celebrities which then became this glamour unfiltered franchise which I present comes out every other week and we've had everyone on from like Angelina Jolie to Victoria Beckham to um, Yara Shahidi so I got to this weird point of meeting these incredible women interviewing them about their lives learning so much from them changing my perceptions of so many different things Mm. do you
0: think in any way it's kind of changed your impression on going forward with interviews when you are interviewing with black men or women or you know of any different race do you think now you push forward sort of thinking I need to talk about this more because this obviously is an issue that doesn't get talked about Mm.
3: well the thing is I've always had friends from um, different backgrounds so I've always known there is a discrepancy in the way that different people get treated by the media, how much of a platform they get given or they don't get given. So I think it's always a weird thing when you sit down and someone very emotionally opens up to you and you're like, wow, this is really a dark situation. And I think you're right, it's definitely made me more passionate to make sure we're getting that out there. But it probably no more passionately drives me than say like, the many, many conversations I've had with Chi about race in the media and all the things we need to do to try and give it, try and make it an equal playing field. But I remember going to New York to go interview Yara Shahidi. And I remember calling and we were going to talk about racial discrimination because she was doing a film called The Sun is Also a Star, which is all about immigration, and she's half Iranian. And she's told me this really, really, like, I find this shocking, because I just can't believe people operate like this. And she told this story about how she turned up on a set, and it was meant to be like a young Hollywood story, right? And beforehand, they said, we want to make sure this isn't just like, I'm the token woman of color. I am not monolithic. This, I can't speak for every single woman of colour. So you need to make sure that there's, it's not just me. There's like a mix of people. It's very representative of the the world we actually live in. So she turns up there and she basically said there was three girls who she said were like really nice, but they basically look like triplets. And so she took the editor who she had many of these discussions with beforehand to one side. And she said this is not what we agreed she was spoken to like like a child and she didn't feel that she was really listening to her and I mean I don't want to take the words out of her own mouth I mean you can watch the video but she says very poignantly how annoying annoying isn't even really the word it's like how frustrating that despite all these discussions despite the fact that in the lead up to this she said do not put me in a situation where I'm the sole representative of this person it still happened mm. I always think about it whenever we're doing anything, whenever I'm working on anything to make sure that it's never a tokenism thing. I think that's the crucial thing in these situations because you can never really talk for another group other than your own. But I think that for me, I've suffered some discrimination for my sexuality my whole life. So I do have some sort of idea what it's like to be discriminated against. Do I know what it's like to be discriminated against as a woman of colour? I absolutely don't. So it's all about, in any of those situations, in any of those interviews, it's about setting up the questions, not giving your opinion, giving them the platform, and then taking a seat back and letting them tell their story, really.
1: Yeah. The point that you made, you know, when Yara was saying that she can't speak for all women of colour... I want to throw a question to Tolly. As a black woman writing in beauty, did you ever feel like, A, there was an expectation for you to write about black women? Was there an expectation for you to write about all people under the umbrella of people of colour? And what does that responsibility feel like? Yeah, so it's a
2: massive weird one. I remember when I first went freelance and everything I'd pitched, like I would just pitch like, I don't know, Top hats to wear in a swing. That was I just saw a hat in my room, so that's that's not that's not a <laughs> good idea. I know. I love a top <laughs> just, hat. So, <laughs> and then those pictures would always get ignored. But if I was like, "Oh, here's how being black has done this to me," like those were the pictures that were getting that I was getting um commissioned for. And I got to a point I was like, "I don't want to write about my black trauma anymore. Mm. Just commission me to write about avocados or a list of, a list of red lipsticks, like you do." any other like white woman who does not have to talk about her trauma that was really frustrating Mm. but then it was just as frustrating for me as when I was working in a space where I couldn't write content that was for just black women like for example I'd write a post and I remember writing this post and I'd spoke about bantu nuts and then my editor was like oh can you put in quotation marks what bantu nuts means I was like no yeah I was like, I'm, I'm not doing that. I was like, never in my life have I ever read a piece that was aimed at a white woman and then explained to her what something that's so mm. normal to her means. Yeah. I was just meant to understand it. So I think it's a really frustrating world where you're frustrated because you can't write about it. But you're frustrated because it's all you can write. Yeah. But you can't talk or write about anything else. And it's not fair because I don't represent every black woman in the world. Yeah, it was just yeah, to yeah. think about how... My experience in beauty, what are all the things i faced? What, are, what do my friends face? What do I talk to my friends about? Like, what are their hairs like? What, what language? And the use of language is so important when writing about it. Like, it was, like, again, not having to explain what certain things mean.
1: Mm. Or using the right picture against something. As black women, we all experience frustrating conversations with friends, colleagues, whoever, who ask us those questions about braids or call your braids mm. dreads or whatever, and you're like I was getting annoyed and then I think coming to this episode I thought to myself hold on a second how on earth would they know whereas of course I know about balayage and of course I know about fake tan
0: what's frustrating is like you're being employed and as part of your employment as a beauty writer you got to write about beauty me and Josh have worked at so many magazines and both of us have kind of done the same magazines in tandem just at different times and I very rarely remember there ever being a person of colour on any table that I worked at, any magazine. Mm. And if there was, there it's was true. sort of that one person. And it always felt yeah. like they kind of looked at me, mm-hmm. I at any magazine I ever worked at, I was the only black person ever on the magazine. And they kind of looked at me like, oh, well, she'll know, so we'll ask her. And I was always kind of like, well, you know, because it's your yeah, yeah,
2: job. Yeah. To know about beauty, yeah.
1: Josh, I want to pick up on just one of my favourite things that you said in your interview with Yara. Mm. So you said people can be deaf to other people's experiences that are different to theirs. And you actually mentioned earlier how, as a gay man, you have experienced prejudice. Do you think that your experience as part of a marginalised community, I mean, sad to say, in 2020, Mm. what? Um, has influenced you and your own approach to speaking to underrepresented communities.
3: Well, a I, that <laughs> quote. Wow, I can't remember I saying it. I was like, I'm like <laughs> Who was that I was me? like, I am so much more intelligent than I've been giving myself credit <laughs> so for. Um, but wow. Um, but okay, so actually, I had um, I remember doing that interview. And sometimes I feel like every I think this idea of privilege, right, is such a complex, it's such a charged, it's such a layered conversation. And I think to I think one thing that I've had to realize is, is that I'm actually privileged because in a certain respect because I'm a white man, right? And And then you whack on top of that, that I'm actually a homosexual man. And I think I've experienced discrimination from probably about the age of 11. I'm now 30. So I think whenever I come to any situation, I probably try to empathize with the situation that people are in if they are from another marginalized group. And I think a lot of people can be very deaf to the level of marginalization and discrimination that people still face, right? Like, for instance, I remember interviewing Gemma Chan and we were talking about racial discrimination in the Asian community, which is a really prolific, hugely important discussion right now, given um, the coronavirus outbreak and some of the horrific language that's been attached to the Asian community after Mm. the coronavirus outbreak. And she was saying to me is that people can be very deaf to um, those situations. And a lot of people can make sweeping statements like, oh, you know, racism doesn't exist anymore if you're like a privileged white person who's living in a mansion. Well, yeah, of course you don't know that because you don't face it every single day, right? Like you have to really, I think sometimes, try and walk in people's shoes to realise that there's so much hatred still out there that still needs to be addressed. There's so many things that we still have to work together come together as humanity in general to try and solve. Everyone has different layers of privilege. And I think it's about showing and recognising that you may have those levels of privilege and making sure you can use those privileges to reach around and help whoever you can.
0: Magazines and publications online everywhere are changing. There is a lot more representation across the board. In 2018, you guys might remember it. I remember it so well because I originally I was like, this is great. And then I was like, actually, what's happening when all the September issues yeah. were black women? The year yeah. that all the September suddenly what's this? black people were alive. Yeah. They existed. That was cool. Yeah. Black became a thing. And it weirdly, I don't understand how all the publications just all did it in like tandem. It's kind of pretty much lighter skinned black women. But it kind of, at the beginning, I was like, oh, this is so nice. And then I was like, oh, oh, oh. Uh. And as each one came out, it started to, like, bother me a bit more.
2: Well, it was very, like, this is a commodity. Buy it. Because I think it first started with, with Edwin, yeah. right? And it was still, oh, they love this. Mm-hmm. Oh, they, 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 yeah. And it yeah. was like, they're talking about this. They're posting about this. So it became very obvious that it became a black coin so other than it being a thing of that it was genuine we actually care mm-hmm. about this and you could tell the lack of care because it was still black women that were still yeah. palatable for a white yeah. audience was, you know like you said it wasn't darker skinned black women it was still like safe quote unquote black women it was people that oh and it's still okay people can still pal- people can still understand and digest this so I saw it and I'm like it stopped connecting to me I was like yeah sure <laughs> yeah. and here comes another one and it just became a money thing and I, and I think it was really obvious to anybody with any sort of even if you lack marketing skills in any way, shape or form, you're very aware that this is a money thing.
1: Yeah. Also I think the, the thing that was so frustrating for me, even though I am a black woman, yeah, I wanna see more representation of people who look like me. But I want to see representation of people who look like my friends too. So I was like, where are all the Indians? Where are mm. all the Asians? Like why are there, what, 20 magazine covers featuring black women? And I know that normally it's 20 magazine covers featuring white women. But this isn't enough for representation. It's because
2: it's not thought. They haven't thought it through. It's just, mm. oh, everyone's talking about diversity. Like, right, sticker on it then. So, yeah. so it feels like that's, so it wasn't this like thought after we're in a meeting and this is a genuine reaction. And I don't want to seem like, because I can imagine it's been like, oh, well, don't complain that there's no black women, then they complain that there's that there's black women. I can understand mm-hmm. why that can seem like that. But it's just, I just want yeah. it to be genuine. Yeah. I just want it to make sense. And then, okay, so outside of this, the contents of the magazine, are there Um, stories that consider black oh. women? Mm. So even when you're talking about how to go blonde for the summer, have you considered maybe a paragraph about, and here are wig options? Yeah. Something that simple.
0: We read an article yesterday, we will not name the publication, but we read an article yesterday um, about how to handle different hair types.
1: So there was a paragraph on how to cut your hair, a paragraph on how to dye your hair, a paragraph on how to like, cut your kid's hair. And then it came to Afro hair and I was like, oh, wow, this is great. This is what we call an inclusive beauty story. And then start reading and they have a quote. And he starts the quote by saying, first of all, Afro hair is um is quite is coiled so you can't really see the um the growth that much so you can hide your growth. That's so a lie. Don't worry, you don't need to cut your hair. And then he says, um, he was like, instead of relaxing your hair at home, you can try straightening your roots. His um, advice was
0: straighten your roots if you can't get relaxed.
2: Oh, uh... So there was no, like, protective style, put braids in, put a wig on, just put a satin nope. cap on for the whole time you're home because it's all so fine. I realised it very, very early on that, like, mainstream magazines were not going to do it. I was never going to get what I away from it. And I was, like, a kid that loved magazines. Like, I have to go to YouTube to see this. And YouTube has been a massive platform for beauty. And, like, if it's not hair, it's beauty, it's different skin tones. It's girls talking about... I think the first time I heard about different kind of curl patterns was YouTube. It wasn't magazines which were experts. So I kind of never really got expert advice. It was just girls on YouTube who had tried and errored. And then I copied them, I tried and error in as well. So I'm not even surprised by that because I remember even like whenever any time I'd look for expert advice, I was and maybe that's the conversation about like visible black hairdressers are. Because if you think about the industry, you can probably name about if I'm thinking about it now, probably about five in terms of visibility. And like especially the people that are like visible yeah. to white editors.
1: Yeah. Do you know, like but the thing that I find so shocking though is this hairstylist that was in this article, I had never heard of. Um, Baz, had you heard of it? Oh, I said so it wasn't no, even someone been. massive. Oh, okay. No, no. And actually, I think someone massive probably would have been able to give proper advice. Yeah. Um, But Charlotte Mensah, who was on our last episode, she is everywhere yeah like she has so she's literally giving quotes left right and center like really insightful stuff like why the hell was she not i mean there's other girls as well but like but she's visible to you is, but some people would have never heard of her
0: online versus offline is obviously a really big thing now i always feel like with online and josh can probably attest to this but what's quite tricky with online is you have to turn out content a lot quicker and I mm.
1: wonder because
0: the content has to come every day, is it a bit lazier because they don't really have the time to seek find anyone? Because actually you kind of just need to keep keep it moving, keep it churning, because you've got to release these articles.
3: I think that speaking for not for glamour, but as someone who works at glamour, um, I think we always really try to make sure that we're representing as many people as we physically possibly can within certain articles um but i think it's i think it i think mistakes are definitely sometimes made on varying different publications where people are checking things i think speed is an enemy it really is speed is a real enemy when it comes to mm. online versus offline yeah. but then equally like we've been saying offline didn't have speed yeah it did have a month it did have a week it did have a day and it still made those mistakes
1: we're seeing progression and we're seeing we're talking mm. about that story like at least there was a paragraph in there about afro hair
2: the amount we spend on beauty is ridiculous like black women i know are spending up to 600 700 pounds on a wig yeah yeah I've always had to spend a lot more money on my foundations because high street shops have never made foundations for me. So I've always mm. been used to spending the £23 mm. MAC was like spending for the foundation at the time, which is what I was using. And that's what every black girl was and using. And sometimes buying free food. Exactly. Blend. So well. even though the percentage is not great, they'll spend is. So even if you don't care about anything else, mm-hmm. care about the spend. Because yeah. we, we are so used to having to spend so much money for our hair. I can't just go to my high street and get a, a hair trim. Yeah, I have to go to one like and realise that I'm going to spend this amount of money for it.
0: Yeah.
1: So I have the the actual stat here oh, yeah. on how much we spend on beauty. So in the UK, we spend apparently, oh my God, this is crazy, £5.35 billion pounds a year Whoa. on beauty. This is the UK as a whole. Um, the average black woman spends 137 pounds and 52 pence more on beauty products per year than anyone else so that's the average black woman we're not even taking into consideration indian women chinese women that is a fact a statistic that can't be shied away from like why Mm. why are we ignoring it i just think it's tricky
0: because actually here's the question would we rather have something in there that's kind of wrong or have nothing at all?
2: I would rather have nothing at all because I, we can read that and know that it's not good advice. A 15-year-old mm-hmm. girl reading that doesn't know that's not good advice. So there she is straightening her roots and, and her roots only, and that's the only thing that she's doing, which is going to lead to how many more years of damage? And then,
0: yeah, yeah, I hear you.
2: Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she's reading it from a credible yeah. source in her eyes. So she's going to try it, sort of thing. So I'd rather it just be like, I just don't know what to do. Then this credible source telling her, just straighten your roots. What does that even look yeah. like? What does it look like to just straighten your roots? Like, how do you do it?
0: And that's when we do the at least conversation because then we say that we would rather not have it at all and then we'll complain about it and then we get it and it's not right and we're going to complain about it. So, what's the solution?
1: I think this is the perfect opportunity for us actually to talk about the black beauty special and I'm quite interested to hear as a white man how you walked into that editorial meeting to pitch the idea and how it felt to do so.
3: Well I think going back to what Basma was just saying I think that every Mm. single person who works in a publication up and down the country, What no matter what publication that is, no matter what it is, if it's beauty, if it's fashion, if it's news, you have a responsibility as a journalist, as someone who has a platform to make sure that you are using it responsibly. So if you are churning out an article that is about hair, you need to make sure it's speaking to as many people as physically possible. I think that's the way forward Hopefully we're getting more to that, like we've been saying, but I think going back to the black beauty special, the reason why it initially came up in conversation tours, because conversation had with Chi. And she was talking to me about um, the lack of representation, how she feels so unrepresented by um, mainstream media. And I was like, we've got to do something about this. And then, then I had the chance meeting with Chase Ross publicist, Rachel, who's amazing. And then we were like, and she, I found out she was launching her hair care brand, um, which is incredible. I came back, we pitched it, and we were like, this is a no-brainer. We need to be doing this. But it can't be tokenism. That's another, that's yeah. another part of the responsibility, being someone in a situation like this. You have to realize that it, it, it's not a tick box exercise. You can't, people are not tick boxes, full stop. You can't just do a pride issue and think, oh, I've ticked that box for the year. You need to make sure if you're then talking about relationships, for instance, it's not always heteronormative relationships. It needs to be yeah. diverse relationships. And in, no matter what you're doing, you need to make sure you're trying to think of like how this can best represent as many people as possible. We need to make sure people are having their fair seat at the invisib- invisible proverbial table that we always talk about imagine how big that table is that's what I always think <laughs> but
2: but also there's having a seat at the table and there's not being at the high table yes it's very different. because even yeah. when you look at teams yeah they're very different you look at teams okay it's diverse but everybody that's junior there are everybody that's person of color yeah mm-hmm. the people that are the editors are making decisions are are not people of color most of the time I know it is changing a lot now but a lot of my career up until I was like at Beauty Editor, at Buzzfeed, I always was junior roles. Yeah. Mm. And anytime I spoke to anybody else that was a person of color, they were always junior roles. And you have to think about okay, sometimes it's like oh well, you're in this thing. Why are you not doing enough? There's a fear of like, what if I suggest this and it doesn't go well, and then I'm the person that had the bad idea, or I suggest this and um, because sometimes you think about your your audience. I suggest this and then Black Twitter hates it. And then they're like, "We're never doing this again." <laughs> you told us the blacks would love this, and they hate it. And now look. So that's another responsibility on, like, on this one person's head as well. So there needs to be, yes, there's a seat at the table, cool. But when you're at a wedding, the kids' table—they're not allowed to talk. Like, nobody takes the kids' table seriously. They take the high table seriously. Right. So it needs to be who is positioned in this table and where they are positioned mm-hmm. to have to make power to make decisions. I was right. thinking
3: about that. Earlier on and thinking about, I mean, Basmi you touched on this earlier, like when you when we were working at magazines at the same time, that mm. was like it was very, very white. And yeah. people weren't considering other people from other walks of life. And it is it is changing, but it's it's almost like it becomes frustrating and exhausting that it can't happen like that. Like we wanted to split that switch, right? And feel that like yeah. everything is representative.
0: Do you feel that responsibility, Josh? As Tolly said she felt responsibility when it came to like being the only, the girl writing about black stuff as the guy who is very aware of it.
3: Yeah, I think everyone should. I think everyone should feel a responsibility to help people full freaking stop no matter what yeah. that is. And I think it's to recognize that any of us like each of us in our own way has platforms right? And we've all got to recognize those platforms can actually make a difference if you use them wisely enough and if you use them in the correct way by doing the right thing when you can, you know?
0: I think sometimes, I guess, it gets frustrating. And when you get frustrated, you kind of give up. Mm. So we, yeah. since starting this podcast, we have been sharing article and article and YouTube and all this stuff that we've all found individually and I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I kind of agree with that. I don't agree with that. I agree with this. I don't agree with this. But whatever it is, like, ultimately, we're just like, yeah, okay. Like, we'll give it what we're taking. And I just wonder at what point do we just, as black women, I guess, we just feel a bit flattened.
2: I, t- I think we have we have been flattened, to be honest. I think when things happen sometimes, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this again. Yeah. And then there was a weird part in the media where our outrage was great for them. So it was like every everything just kept happening to make us angry. Like they kept like things get getting published for us to be angry. And so now I think we're very much like, oh let's make our own. Let's create our own now. And I think that's a, a lot of black women I speak to are there now. I don't know many that still read mainstream mags because they just feel like I've given up on that.
1: I'm hopeful. I want an inclusive space. Like I love what Liv's doing with galden I love the independent titles that are coming up that are niche and speaking to their specific communities
2: and also we can't underestimate the powerhouses of things like glamour and vogue these are massive Mm. names like i would just love to see my face in a glamour because it's such a massive name i would love to see like tips for me in a glamour because it feels Mm. like someone in this big place is thinking about me and what adamant about working at BuzzFeed and creating that kind of content for BuzzFeed because I didn't want it to feel like you had to be other to find your content.
1: Genuinely, Glamour is one of those publications. Like from having you know Patricia Bright on your cover, come on, yeah, exactly, you, you yeah. And then obviously the content during the Black History Month that kind of takes me to the next question that I've got for both of you, actually, or for everyone actually, that's you too. Um, <laughs> Question to the room How can the media nail inclusivity without it being tokenistic? What does progress look like? Mm. Who wants to go first? (laughs) I don't need every magazine cover
2: to be a woman of colour. I, yeah. I don't need that. Like, it, that doesn't That doesn't. I was going to say jizz my pants, sorry. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> I'm so crude. I'm so sorry. But that's not what does it for me. That's not what I need. What I need is to consistently be considered in every single article. So like I said, it doesn't have to be a big thing that is shouted about. It's just little things that if you include a makeup roundup, you include makeup that includes certain shades. If you include an SVF roundup, you include an SVF that I can use because you do that for blonde and dark hair mm. yeah I'm just considering that this will look better on the skin this will look better on that skin include everything and also um the knowledge part of it as well yeah. I think it's important for everybody to be knowledgeable in it like you we've said quite a few times I had to know so many trends that didn't concern me mm-hmm. and I had to learn that and yeah. it's and it's not every time as beauty writers or beauty journalists You also have to be an expert as well. You can't always seek to go find an expert to talk about something. And if you can't, obviously, you find it, but there there has to be a base where you know about things as well. Beauty journalists are considered experts.
0: You should know. Yeah. I think, for me, how I kind of think of the whole thing when I read magazines or read articles or whatever else, yes, part of me is like, if you're not going to do it, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're not going to do it right, don't do it. Like, I just feel like there's just so much, like, half-assed attempts at representation. Mm. And then either it's half-assed and we're like, well, we tried, like, forgive us. Or all the issues have black people on the cover. And mm. it just, I just, part of me just feels like, just, just don't do it if you're not going to do it right. And if you want to do it right, and this is where I think publications are still failing, yeah.
2: just ask. Can I ask them how you think about that? Because they got to a point in my career that I was like, this is extra labour. Um, I was always the black girl that was getting asked about things. So I would have my post, I'd have written my post, and someone, do you mind reading this just to check? Like, it, it felt like, I know that's a whole other conversation, yeah. but I feel like we consider labouring people as well. Or sometimes maybe you're not the right person to write it and get somebody right. else to write well, it. well well, it's just about... Commission Commission it. Commission mm. it to someone else that can write it. There was nothing wrong with that.
0: I think you're right. I think a lot of times, even when I worked at magazines, there was a lot of tokenism on my end where they were like, can we say that? Can we do that? That was at least six, seven, eight years ago now. At this stage in the game, yeah. if yeah. you need help, just ask me. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. also want to be served and I want to be served well. So if I can assist you on serving well, Feel free.
1: Also, if you feel like you can't write about something, there are so many. I mean, just Google it. You'll find an expert yeah. somewhere that has already been yeah. public mm. who, is, you know, speaks perfectly yeah. about whatever you want mm. and having and has that authority that will actually yeah. make whatever piece that you're working on even better. Commission
2: the girls. I, I There's think... so many girls out here. Commission the girls. Like they, they, mm. they, they know yeah. what they
3: want to talk about. They've got the knowledge. Like. I think also going back to the top of your question, Basma, about what is progression? What does that look like? I think progression is actually people who don't necessarily understand what someone else is going through or what they need or what they want and actually having the conversation. I think a lot of people, like we touched on this before, like about you saying, were you nervous to do this podcast? And I was like, possibly a bit, but to be honest, it's important to have these conversations and to understand other people's situations. And I think progression is... Listening to yeah. people, not just talking, and igniting change mm. where you can, and recognizing that this kind of conversation yeah. needs to carry on. It needs to keep happening. I
2: don't know if it's in our lifetime. I know that sounds horrible, oh, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if
3: it is.
1: I hope it is, but yeah. I, I mean, women—the women's movement has been what a hundred years, and we're still not there.
2: And we're still not there. So I don't uh, know if it's our lifetime. <laughs>
0: So, guys, one last question that I'd like to end this on. Um, and we haven't told you this because I specifically want you to think about it. Firstly, to. I think I actually want to give this one to Josh. Um, Josh, when did you first realize that you were beautiful? <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Woo! <laughs> right.
3: Um. The irony is, is I literally spend so much of my life talking to people about celebrating the skin they're in and like really, um, making sure you celebrate you and how amazing that is. And actually, I don't think I've ever really got to a point where I'm fully happy with myself. Like I've written before. I have had body dysmorphia most of my life. I had horrific acne until I was like 18. I did, I was not hot. I've got like a massive crooked Roman nose. Maybe like a couple of prides ago when I was skipping around in my England football kit thinking like i am snogged about 10 boys <laughs> so maybe that's not going on. But I think, when I realize that I was, I, oh, I think the answer to that is it's always going to be an ongoing, long, deep discussion I have with myself about that. But I feel like I'm definitely more happy and content with myself in the last year than I ever have.
1: Oh I just wanna say you are, You're beautiful, you are beautiful. Inside yeah. and out. Like genuinely. <laughs> Not
3: so- <laughs> this is weird though because I feel like a lot of people who don't know me think, oh my God, he must love it. I always think this like people must think he loves himself, but genuinely I'm like wildly insecure most of the time <laughs> I'm like oh god I do not look good here like look at those chins or whatever but you know that's I think that's just a discussion we all have right yeah, yeah I, think okay. I think it is but yes Josh you are a little
0: hottie so own it please thanks Han. <laughs> <laughs> and Tolly what about you when did you realize you were beautiful
2: oh again like Josh because I'm very confident I'm a very very confident person and that's thanks to how my mum was brought us up because she's a very confident woman and of course we were beautiful because she made us and that's kind of how (laughs) that's how she brought us up and it's kind of like you're my child you're amazing why would you not be I'm amazing sort of thing so that's been (laughs) lovely to have been like brought up with that and then you get to the teenage years where it feels like oh my god and I so I've told a story before. I remember I kind of got hips and a bum and boobs really quite early on, like, compared to everyone else. But then I still had the face of a teenager, which is spotty and just not that well-developed yet. And I remember there was a guy two years above me that called me a butterface. That so was anything but her face. Sorry, I can laugh. That? Every, time, every time I say to people, but well, I just find it hilarious now. And, like, for ages, I was like, oh, my God, I don't have a nice face. I was just like, I just don't have a nice face. So it took me a while, and then it took me a while to not think I'm beautiful because I'm okay. beautiful I'm beautiful yeah. yeah do you know what I mean because it was like I was looking for validation so if someone said I am I was like oh yeah then I am but then as soon as they think yeah. you're not you're suddenly not sort of thing so I honestly think it was like turning 30 was massive for me I turned 30 last year September and I kind of go I I'd worked up to it. I was like it's gonna be awful oh my god I'm single mm. I don't have kids <laughs> I'm like mums I'm just like what this 30 year old but it just gave me this confidence <laughs> I was like babe mm. this is your face mm. now." Mm. Like it's you've had it for thirty years. How I see it massively is that I share resemblances with so many people that I love. I look like my mum. I look like my sister. My niece and nephew have got bits of my face. So if I claim to love them so much and find them so beautiful, why am I not seeing that in myself? With people that share my features uh, massively,
0: so, nice. so
2: that really helped me in a way that so nice. like I share my features with so many people that I love so deeply, and I love their faces. So of course I have to love my face as well. So that was amazing. So, yeah, this isolation has been brilliant for me because I think, I think I guess everybody's been looking at themselves loads more. Mm, I, am okay. like, I have been, like, staring at myself so much more and, like, looking at my body. And I've, like, I think this morning I spent about 20 minutes just standing in front of the mirror naked. And I, th- <laughs> and I think, again, we've got time now. Even my skincare, like, I probably, like, go into my body a lot more. I really, like, really moisturise and, like, take 60 seconds and take time out. So this time has been good spending time with myself to be, like you're cute. No. And yeah. I guess that's because you're not seeing other people as much. Yeah. So you kind of yeah. had to like what you're seeing. Oh, you're not comparing. You know, I'm not comparing my face to anyone at the moment yeah. because I'm not seeing anyone uh, else yeah. but, I, but me. So that's been really, really that nice. That is
3: so true. But that validation thing, is mm. I used to look for the validation in everyone else. Like I was just saying about knocking those like, boys at pride. I was like, oh God, i validated. Before
1: yeah. so, we finish... Can I ask you both, where can our listeners find you on the internet?
3: So you can find me uh, at Josh Smith Posts on Instagram.
1: Um, you can
2: find me at Tolly underscore T at all my socials. All my so- I'm just on Instagram and Twitter. I don't, say- I don't know why I said all my socials. Like I have 60 of them. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> like- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for contributing and listening hey. and adding in and being really honest. You've both been so honest. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to the amazing Tolly T and the amazing Jocelyn.
1: Oh, I loved that conversation. Yeah, so did I. It was so sweet. So many lols. And realness. That's what we want. (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode and you think one of your friends might enjoy it too, please do share it with them
0: yeah feel free to share and if you want to continue the conversation come and join us on our very pretty instagram the at unpretty podcast and let's have some conversations
1: you have been listening to the unpretty podcast hosted by me chi Ufodiyama and me basma khalifa not forgetting our producers
0: shout out to Soleil for booking our amazing guests and kadeen bissett for managing this whole thing
1: Special thanks to Zenia Geller for our artwork and Enoch Kolo for our soundtrack. Until next time.